This week, um, I didn't watch The View. How many of you watched The View? Hopefully none of you. (laughs) Tim Scott was on The View. And, you know, I appreciate the fact that they bring on people that have a different moral or political perspective, but two of the ladies were trying to bait him in a discussion about racism, discrimination, and Tim Scott, who is going to be running for president, said this. He said, discrimination is not a party issue. He said it is a heart issue. And he's right, because discrimination stems from man's corrupted nature. All of us, even those of us who are Christians, we have a tendency to engage in sinful discrimination. And you know, there are different forms of discrimination. For example, there is physical discrimination. We can discriminate against people that maybe look different than we do, or maybe they have handicaps. There is economic discrimination. The poor versus the rich, those who are needy. Then there's ethnic or racial discrimination. There's gender discrimination, males looking down on females and vice versa. Political discrimination, educational, vocational or class discrimination, and you can even get into religious discrimination. You know, there are religious groups that will actually kill and persecute those who don't believe like they believe. And by the way, the church is not immune from this. There are churches that engage in religious discrimination. In other words, if you don't believe like I do, you're less than. Now, we expect this in society because we know it's part of the warp and woof of our society, but we don't expect it in the church among those who are redeemed. I was reading a story about an interracial couple who was attending a church in Kentucky, and they were invited to give a special number. And the particular gentleman was from Africa. His wife played the piano, and he sang, and they did a great job. Two weeks later, the church, particularly the board, voted that they would never be able to sing again on stage because of their interracial marriage. All of us would consider that to be repugnant because we know it goes against Scripture, and yet we see where it happens even in the church. And so Christians are to reject racial and other forms of discrimination. Now, we have to be careful we don't swing the pendulum because what happens today is this. If you disagree with somebody over some moral issue, some political issue, some economic issue, you are labeled a racist. And what we're doing is we're using that term so often that true racism becomes irrelevant. Or take, for example, another overreaction, black lives matter. Do black lives matter? Absolutely. All lives matter. But black lives matter is a form of reverse racism. And by the way, just as a footnote, should Christians support Black Lives Matter? Absolutely not. Not because people are black. It is because Black Lives Matter as an institution organization rejects the main tenets of Christianity. They try to break up the nuclear family. They are pro-homosexual and they want to undo certain structures in our society. And so it is not a biblical movement. And so it's an overreaction. And so We have to hate discrimination, whatever form it takes, but we have to be careful we don't swing the pendulum to one side or the other. Now, it's important that we distinguish between biblical discrimination and sinful discrimination. Sinful discrimination is when I judge somebody, 
I look down on somebody based on external measurements. I judge them. I mistreat them. I look down on them based on the externals. That is sinful discrimination. The Bible categorically condemns that. But that is different than biblical discrimination. Biblical discrimination is being discerning. This may shock you, but the Bible calls us to judge. The Bible calls us to evaluate right from wrong, truth from error, and to make a judgment. Nowhere does the Bible say we're not to judge. What the Bible condemns is judgmentalism, looking down on people that we disagree with, treating them in a way that is not Christ-like. The Bible makes it very clear that we are to discern truth from error, lies from truth. Notice what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says this, but examine everything carefully, hold to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Notice we're to examine everything carefully. We are to embrace the good, the right, and we are to do away with every form of evil. Jesus in John chapter 7 was having a debate with the religious establishment, and he said this to them, stop judging by mere appearances. See, you're judging by the external, he said, but instead judge correctly. Jesus is saying we're to judge. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, doesn't Matthew chapter 7 say, judge not lest you be judged? You ever heard people say that before? Stop judging me. You're not doing what Jesus would do. Well, listen, that's a fallacious argument. Because in the very next verse, Jesus said, do not cast your pearl before swine. How can you know, and that, by the way, was a Jewish expression, how can you know right from wrong, error from truth, unless you discern? How do I discern? Don't cast your pearl before swine. Obviously, I have to judge. What Jesus is condemning in Matthew chapter 7 is not judging. He's basically condemning hypocritical judging. When I go around pointing out people's sins and I'm living in sin, Jesus is condemning judgmentalism. So for example, to hit some of the social hot button issues, the Bible says that we are to love the transgender. We are to love the homosexual. We are to love those who engage in gay marriage. We are to love those who are vitriolic in pushing their views. Yes, there is a righteous anger. We are to love them, but we are not to approve of their lifestyle. We are not to approve of the transgenderism or the gay marriage. You see, there is those two truths juxtaposed to one another, truth and what? Love. We're called to judge. I'm called to discern right from wrong. And so be careful because there are those in the church that say, well, we, sh- we shouldn't judge. By the way, when a person tells you you should not judge, do you realize that's a self-refuting argument? Because by telling them not to judge, you are making a judgment. Therefore, you are hanging yourself on your own gallow. So judging is impossible. It is in- inescapable. We are going to judge. The question is, how do we judge? That's what Jesus is condemning. And so you have to make a distinction between biblical discrimination and sinful discrimination. The Bible says, biblically, we are to judge, we are to discern, we ought to call out right from wrong while showing love, but we are to reject sinful discrimination that basically assesses people by the externals, and we look down on them, we mistreat them, we mishandle them. That's what the Bible condemns as sinful discrimination. 
Now, James is going to be dealing with this topic as we're going through the book of James in chapter 2, so I invite you to turn to James chapter 2, and we're looking at avoiding sinful discrimination. We're looking specifically at verses 1 through 13. Now, James is going to be addressing this subject of discrimination in this text, and it really is an economic discrimination. James is addressing the rich and the poor. Now, let me show you how the rich were discriminating. What the rich were doing is they were basically looking down on the poor person, the poor Jewish person that was mowing their fields, according to James chapter 5, and the rich person wasn't paying the poor person. The rich person, according to this text of chapter 2, was taking the poor person to court. And so it was a form of judging. It was a form of discrimination. On the other hand, the rich were showing sinful, or rather the poor were showing discrimination as well in that they were giving preferential treatment towards the rich. The rich were looked at as those who could help me. So if a poor person was in a church and they saw a rich man coming in, the poor person would try to show preferential treatment towards that rich person because of that, what that rich person could do for them. And so you have two forms of discrimination. You have the rich discriminating against the poor. You have the poor showing preferential treatment towards the rich. Therefore, both are forms of sinful discrimination. And what James is going to do is he's basically going to expose this, and he gives us six reasons why you and I are not to engage in sinful discrimination, regardless of the type of discrimination it is. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the first three, and then next time, we'll look at the final three. The first reason why you and I are not to engage in sinful discrimination is because it's inconsistent with being a Christian. It's inconsistent with being a Christian. Notice what he says in verse 1 of James chapter 2, my brethren... Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And in this case, the poor were favoring the rich because of what the rich could do with them. And he says, look, don't hold your faith in Jesus Christ while showing an attitude of personal favoritism. What he's saying is the two are mutually exclusive. To say that you're a follower of Christ, to say that you are a Christian, you are a soldier of the cross... And as a consistent lifestyle, to engage in sinful discrimination is basically inconsistent. Why? Because we are Christ's followers. And what did Christ do? Christ did not show sinful discrimination. Yes, Jesus spoke truth. Jesus called out lies. He called out error. But Jesus also demonstrated love towards all people. And therefore, if we're to be imitators of God, imitators of Christ, and we are Christians, Christ followers, therefore we are to exhibit the ethic of Christ. Christ did not show sinful discrimination. Therefore, you and I should not do that because it is inconsistent. In fact, when the church engages in sinful discrimination, not only is it inconsistent with our faith, but it is a bad testimony. It is one of the reasons why the church, the world is turned off by the church, is because they see a lot of judgmentalism not judging, but judgmentalism in the church, and that turns off a lot of people. Now, there are those who embrace maybe Christianity, or they use Christianity in order to advance their purposes of racism or discrimination. An example of this would be Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler was not a Christ follower, although when he was younger, he was going to go into the priesthood. Adolf Hitler didn't claim to be a Christian, 
but he understood Christianity. And he thought by killing the Jews, he was doing the work of God. Listen to what he said in Mein Kampf. Quote, Hence today I believe that I am acting in accordance with the will of the Almighty Creator. By defending myself against the Jew, I am fighting for the work of the Lord. End quote. That's a lie. On the one hand, even though he's not a Christ follower, he's using the Bible, as it were. He's using God's will in order to advance his cause. Or take, for example, in the KKK, there are a number of KKK uh, individuals, KKK, who will basically try to discriminate against black people, and they use Christianity as a justification. They basically say that uh, God cursed Ham. And the curse in Genesis 9 on Ham, I've read this argument, is that God made Ham black. And when Noah's three sons dispersed, Ham went to the area of Africa, and therefore being black is a curse, and this is the justification that some in the KKK want to use to engage in sinful discrimination. But listen, people see that as hypocritical. They see it as wrong. Or take, for example, the slavery that took place in the antebellum South. It is a black eye in our American history. Many of the slave owners would use the Bible as their justification, and many of them would claim to be Christians, they would use the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, masters, treat your slaves in this way, and slaves, you are to submit to your masters. And they would go to the Old Testament, and they would say, well, the Old Testament talks about slavery, and it does. I don't have time to get into what that means, but it's not the antebellum slavery of the South. Two different types of slavery. God condemns slave trading in the Old Testament and the New. And so people in the South who basically own slaves, they use the Bible and their Christianity to, a, to basically justify that oppression. And what James is saying here is don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The two are mutually exclusive. They are, they are not consistent with each other. And listen, Christians can fall into this. None of us are immune from this. None of us are perfect, but we don't want to engage in this at all, but particularly as a lifestyle. There's a second reason why we're not to engage in sinful discrimination, and that is this. It is often based on sinful motivations. It is often based on sinful motivations. In other words, when people engage in discrimination, whatever form, there is a motive behind what they're doing. And it's a sinful motive. Notice, if you will, verse 2 of James 2, he's going to give an example here. For if a man, and this would be a rich person, comes into your assembly, comes into your synagogue, into your church with a gold ring, the Greek indicates gold finger. In other words, this person has multiple rings on their finger and they are dressed in fine clothes. They kind of like Liberace. Remember Liberace? They're decked out, coming to church, they're rich, and they display their wealth by the gold on their fingers and also by the dress that they wear. By the way, in that time and even today, wealth was defined by how many clothes that you owned. It's not like today where you walk into your um, closet and you have a, a litany of clothes. They didn't have that back in that day. So if you had a lot of clothes, you were wealthy. And listen, we all are wealthy in here by the rest of the world's standards. <coughs> Rings, gold. So here comes this well-to-do guy He's dressed up to the nines. He's got a nice suit on. He comes in, 
And basically, notice what the people say in verse 3. <clears throat> and you pay, it says he comes in with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. Here's a homeless man that comes in, or a hippie, or someone that doesn't look like us. And notice the discrimination in verse 3. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. By the way, a footstool was a place where you would rest your feet. And in that culture, it was considered dishonorable because washing people's feet was basically given to the task of a servant. And so by saying, <clears throat> sit down by my footstool, that was a pejorative way of saying you're less than. And so what they're doing here is they're making distinctions. A rich man walks in, he's dressed fine, and they say to the rich man, we want to give you the best seat. But they say to the poor man, sit down by my footstool. And then James says it in verse 4, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? There it is. He's saying your motive is wrong. What was their motive? Well, you could understand some of these poor Jews who didn't have a lot of money, who were living on the edge, who were involved in subsistence living, they would want to cater to the rich person coming in. Why? Because they wanted a job. They wanted favor from that rich person. They didn't want to be taken to court. They wanted their wages paid whenever they did work for the rich. And so you can understand why, from a human perspective, they would want to show favoritism towards that rich person. But what they were doing was they were judging by externals. Their motivation was financial. Their motivation was economics. And they were mistreating that poor person that was dressed in rags. Why? Because that poor person could not do anything for them. Listen, the church today, if we're not careful, we can fall into the same trap. We can cater to people that are wealthy. There are churches today, and let me say this, there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with dressing nice. There's nothing wrong with having jewelry. But if we're not careful, there are a lot of churches in America that cater to the wealthy. They don't want to do anything with the poor. They look down on the poor. And what they will do is they will defer to the rich. They'll give them positions of power, position. They will give them special privileges. They will acknowledge them. And listen, that's a sin. Rich people and poor people are treated equally in the eyes of God. And often, what is the motivation behind Treating the rich a certain way and the poor is basically you want notoriety. Hey, I know so-and-so, or this person could do me favors. What would happen if a celebrity walked in this church? How would we treat them? Now, if the president walked in, I understand the Bible says give respect to people's positions. There is a place for that. But listen, we're not to give preferential treatment towards those who may have a position of power or prominence or wealth. We are to treat them equally like we would a poor man. What would happen if a poor person or a homeless person walked into this church? How would we treat that person? For example, there is many different tribes in Africa, but in Rwanda, there's two particular tribes that warred against one another. You may have remembered this in the 1990s. You had the Hutu tribe and the Tutsi tribe. And there was a lot of discrimination going on there. The Hutu tribe basically killed, they said, up to about 800,000 people from the Tutsi tribe. You say, well, what was their motivation in killing them? 
One person said, here is what their motivation was, and I quote, generally, the Hutu and Tutsi strife stems from class warfare with the Tutsis perceived to have greater wealth and social status, as well as favoring cattle ranching over what is seen as the lower class farming of the Hutus, end quote. There's the motivation. It's a class warfare. They look down on their fellow brother. Listen, this happens in India. India has what is called the caste system. And at the top of the caste system, you have the politicians and you have the religious gurus. And at the bottom, you have what are called the Dalits. They are the untouchables. They basically are only able to sweep the streets, clean the latrines, and do various and other sundry tasks that are considered menial. In fact, they don't even want them getting well from the water because they will corrupt the well. Why do they have this caste system? What is the motivation behind this? Well, it's based on their religious belief system of karma. The reason why you're an untouchable, the reason why you're a Dalit, is because of bad karma. You must have done something in your previous life that was bad, therefore now you have come to this life and you are considered to be an untouchable because of what you did in your previous life. See, what drove the motivation was their belief system. And listen, when people engage in sinful discrimination, there's always a motive behind it. It could be, I want favors from you. There's a greedy motive. There is a lustful motive. There is pride. There is control. There is ego. There is a need for notoriety. The Bible says we're not to have that kind of motive. Think, for example, of Hitler. What was Hitler's motive in annihilating the Jews? Well, he saw them as an inferior race, called them pigs, and he thought the Aryan race was a superior race. See, there's always a sinful motivation when it comes to sinful discrimination. And so whenever we engage in that, we have to ask ourselves, Lord, why am I doing this? What is my motive? Listen, some people are raised in homes where that's what was modeled for them. There are people that are raised in homes where you talk about black people in a negative way. And you know what? That child grows up with a prejudicial attitude because it was modeled to them by the family. And they never ask the question, well, is this right? Is this wrong? They just replicate what they were taught and what was modeled for them. And the Bible says we're not to engage in sinful discrimination. Why? Because it is based on sinful motivations. My motivation is to honor God. My motivation is to please God. And my motivation is to see people the way God sees them and to treat them the way God would treat them. Therefore, I am not to have a sinful motive. And so James says, don't show sinful discrimination. Why? It is inconsistent with being a Christian. Secondly, it is based on sinful motivations. Thirdly, we are not to engage in it because it fails to see people the way God sees them. Notice what he says in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? In other words, God sees the poor differently than what, how you're seeing them. God sees them through spiritual eyes. God sees them as to whether or not they have a relationship with him. He's saying, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? Now, he's not saying that rich people can't get saved. And he's not saying that all poor people get saved. 
But by and large, there's a general principle here that the poor are, generally speaking, more open to the gospel message because they see their need to God, need for God, whereas the rich, on the other hand, often do not see their need for God. And he's saying, look, you're failing to see the poor the way God sees them. You're looking at the externals, the rich man coming in, rather than saying, does that man have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Does that woman have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And then in verse 6, he says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? He's saying, look, you're showing preferential treatment towards that rich guy that's dressed very nice coming into the church, and that's the very same guy that blasphemes your faith, takes you to court. He's saying, why are you going to show them preferential treatment? Now, we're not to disdain those people as well because that's a form of racism as well. That is a form of discrimination. But he's saying, quit showing preferential treatment towards the rich and casting aside the poor. Look at those individuals the way God sees them. And here's another principle in why we're not to show sinful discrimination. Because when we do, we are not viewing those people through the lens of God. We're not viewing them through the lens of Scripture. Now listen, it's human nature to judge by externals. I get that. 1 Samuel 7, God said, when he wanted to pick David as the next king, Remember Samuel? Oh, it surely must be this brother. Oh, no, it surely must be this brother. God says, stop looking the way man looks. He says, man looks on the outer appearance, God looks at the heart. Now, this doesn't mean we ignore outer appearance altogether. God knows it's human nature. When you meet people, you size them up. It's human nature. You do that. You look at them. You make a judgment. They're attractive. They're not attractive. Their breath smells, it doesn't smell. You have all these things that go through your mind. Why? Because as humans, we judge externally, but we got to go beyond the external and we got to look at people from God's perspective. We got to look at them not from a worldly point of view. How much money do they make? What is their position? How powerful are they? What, they, what can they do to help me? But rather, where are they at spiritually? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. He said, we used to look at Christ that way, but he says, we don't do that anymore. He says, we look at people from a spiritual perspective. And so listen, if you have the mind of Christ and you're biblically saturated, you know what you're concerned about is where is that person's soul? Now, this doesn't mean we don't have standards in terms of appearance, but again, that's going to be subjective. Listen, the biblical principle is this, don't be scantily clad. That's it. And so when churches get into, well, you got to dress this way and that way, no, 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 no. The Bible doesn't say that. Don't be scantily clad. There are standards. I understand that. I don't go to a job interview dressed in my pajamas, do I? No, because it's not appropriate for the situation. So I'm not saying that externals never matter, but we have to view people from the eyes of God, and we must see them from a biblical perspective. Are they saved? Are they lost? How can I minister to them? James McDonald, who pastored a church in Illinois, big church. He's no longer there. There was a scandal with the whole ministry. But James McDonald decided to do one Sunday an experiment because he wanted to see where his people were at. He really did this. He dressed up as a homeless person, and he sat outside. And really, not a lot of people came up to him and ministered to him. So when it came time for him to preach the sermon, that homeless man walked up to the pulpit 
dressed in his homeless garb. And you know what he did? He took it off. And of course, people were aghast. And he said, we got a lot of work to do in this church. What would we do if a homeless person came here or a hippie or somebody that we... How about a homosexual? How about a transgender? Would we love them? We don't approve of the lifestyle. We don't agree with gay marriage. But would we love them the way Christ does? Would we see them through the lens of God? Or would we say like the Pharisees, stinking sinner? Don't you know gay marriage is wrong? Yeah, of course it's wrong. Again, this is why, not always, some within the community will use any excuse to try to reject Christianity. You Christians are unloving. I've heard that all the time. And there is a kernel of truth to that. On the other hand, the world will always use. In other words, what they're saying is, you don't love me until you agree with me. And obviously, we can't go that far. But we got to be careful we don't have a judgmental attitude in the sense that we look down on people. We must see them through the eyes of God. So how about you? Do you ever struggle with sinful discrimination? Most of us here probably don't in an overt way. But we all have attitudes that we struggle with. Or take, for example, what's going on at the border. Now, just so you'll know my position biblically, I do believe in legal immigration. Okay? That's where I stand on that issue. I do believe in legal immigration. And I got in a discussion with a guy last week about this. We had a debate. And he was arguing with me why we just should let everybody in. And I said, no, I don't think that's biblical. He said, well, what are you going to do with all the people that are coming in now? I said, I want to treat them the way Christ would treat them. I want to love them. The church is there in that area should be ministering to those people, not going, get over where, go back to where you came from and treat them with disdain. No. Matthew chapter 25, when I was sick, you visited me. When I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. When I needed food, you fed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When did we do that, Lord? When you've done it unto the least of me, least of these, you've done it unto me. So I'm not advocating that we bring people in indiscriminately without vetting them. On the other hand, there are people here that are here illegally. And you know what? The church should show compassion and love and see them through the eyes of God. That's James' point. He's not saying it's bad to be rich or it's better to be poor or that all poor people accept Christ and all rich people don't. He's not saying that. But he's saying, why are you showing preferential treatment towards them uh, just because of their wealth? Don't you know that God loves the poor and he died for them? So why are we not to engage in sinful discrimination? Three reasons. Number one, it's inconsistent with being a Christian. Number two, it's often based on sinful motivations. And then finally, it fails to see people the way God sees them. Now, there's three other reasons why we're not to engage in sinful discrimination, but you're going to have to come back next time to get those. Let's pray.